Hello um, again and welcome everyone back to HR Insights. Thanks for joining us um, and hello to any new faces and new people uh, if they're joining for the first time. Um, I just wanted to say um, a few things just at the beginning of this webinar. Um, with it being the topic of ESG, um, I just had a few things from the Yoke point of view that I wanted to highlight because we've been very busy recently um, and over the last year on a number of different projects. So I just wanted to give a little shout out to some of the stuff that we've been doing and let you know about some of the stuff that's coming up for this year. Um, so some of you might have noticed uh, recently on our social media channels and the uh, press releases that have gone out, we had a campaign last year called Yokes Oaks. Um, and we usually try to rhyme anything with yolks, so there's usually something that rhymes with it. So the Yolks Oaks campaign uh, was a campaign that we ran last year um, where we activated it in February this year, which saw everyone at Yolk Recruitment planting 1,100 oak trees in the Blind Brand Forest in Cumbran. Um, so that was all really exciting. We've worked with all our clients on it. We worked um, with the forest land and cleared all the land, got all the trees planted. It was based on a campaign idea for that every candidate that we place, we we're going to plant an oak tree. Um, so there's certain clients that we've worked with where we've placed 50 trees on their behalf, some 100 trees. Um, so that was a great activation that we had this February and also had the backing of the Welsh Government um, because their climate minister, Lee Waters, got involved um, as well. So we're super thrilled about that piece of work. Um, and are now moving on to a new campaign for 2022. So I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of information on this new campaign, um, and then I'll hand it over to Anna. Um, but we potentially need help from our clients on this campaign, so I want to do a shout out for it. And if anyone's interested in finding some more information out about it or working with us, um, you can get in touch with me and Robin and we can carry on the conversation. Um, so our new campaign for this year is called Yoke Pathways. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't rhyme, but um, it's the best um, I could come up with. But um, we are focusing this year on implementing change for people who've been affected by homelessness. Um, so we are working with Cardiff Council to help facilitate new employment opportunities for people who have been or are currently affected by homelessness and providing them with training, um, employment advice. And then once they've completed a very rigorous training programme that Cardiff Council organises, um, we're offering a service where we're going to help them find employment opportunities and utilize our client network to do so um, and then place them into these roles. Obviously, the whole thing is uh, rate free. We're not charging clients, of course. Um, it's just us trying to use our network over the last 12 years to try and identify roles that these people who have gone through this training and have successfully been rehoused and got themselves um, off the street and to find them a potential job. Um, so yeah, we're working with everyone across the whole process from the client side, uh, the candidate side um, and with Cardiff Council to try and make as many matches as possible to help these people. Um, so if anybody um, on the webinar today has opportunities within their business or contacts that they can recommend to us or are just interested in hearing more about the project that we're working on with Cardiff Council, um, please do get in touch. We'll circulate. Um, a mailer and information at the end of this webinar as well, so you can easily get in touch with us using that. Um, another part of it of Yoke Pathways as well, focusing on the homelessness campaign, is that we're working with Lamai, um, the Cardiff charity, uh, which focuses on supporting those affected by homelessness, mainly women and children. Um, so we're fundraising for them throughout the year, 
um, and trying to get them as much money as possible alongside our bigger uh, employment campaign with Cardiff Council. Um, so we have just opened a donation link to gather as much money throughout the year, which will go straight to Slamai. Um, so obviously this is a free event and um, it will be for the foreseeable. But if anyone does want to say thank you for all the content that comes out of it, we would love it if you were able to say that thank you by donating to the Slamai Just Giving link that we'll be able to provide in the comments and we'll send in a mailer. Um, and that would be a very lovely way to say thank you on behalf of all of Anna's work as well, and it will all go to the charity. Um, so, yeah, any donations greatly appreciated and received, um, and we will circulate more information about the wider Yoke Pathways and the work we're doing with Cardiff Council at the end of the webinar if anyone wants to speak to us about it. Um, but yeah, thanks to everyone for joining today, and I will hand it over to Anna. Thank you very much, James. Good morning to everybody. Tony, I don't know how you always end up being the face that I can see first on the screen. It's lovely to see you again and see some names on the list that I recognise. Also, a couple of names that I don't recognise. So very warm welcome to those of you who've not been to one of these sessions before. Um, those of you who are um, old hats will know that uh, I typically start the sessions by just talking about what's going on in terms of any case law or any updates that I think people ought to be aware of from an HR perspective, or even if they are a, a line manager. So um, the main thing at this time of year, and it happens every, every uh, March, is that we find out what the value is going to be of various benefits and rates going forward into the next year. And because the retail prices index is quite high up 4.9%. We get a bit more of a jump this year than perhaps we've been used to um, in recent years. So the main changes happen on the 6th of April. So anyone who is mid discussions with any employees about redundancies will need to bear in mind that on the 6th of April, the amount of a week's pay or that cap when we're calculating redundancy pay is going to change from £544 a week as it is at the moment, it's going to go up to £571. So that has a knock-on effect then when we're calculating basic awards for unfair dismissal and the compensatory award for unfair dismissal. So the maximum basic award now goes up to £17,130 if you're somebody who's got 30 years service. And the compensatory award is going up from £89,493 to £93,878. But obviously that only affects high earners Generally speaking, the compensatory award is capped at 12 months salary. So if you earn less than that figure, you're going to be capped at your annual salary um, figure. Statutory sick pay is going up from £96.35 a week as it is at the moment to £99.35. And for those smaller businesses who've been reclaiming SSP uh, in relation to COVID-related absences, that came to an end on the 17th of March, sadly, so that's no longer um, available. Statutory maternity pay and paternity pay, adoption pay, all of those types of statutory pay are all going up from £151.97 to £156.66. 
So those are the, the rate changes. In terms of case law, I wanted to mention one case in relation to holiday. You may have come across um, Pimlico Plumbers because Charlie Mullins, who runs it, was quite famous for making his no jab, no job speech quite early doors um, into the pandemic. But he's had some long running litigation with a worker called Mr Smith, who challenged his self-employed status um, and that he was really a worker. And there's been lots of press attention in, in, into that part of the case. But if he was found to be a worker, then he's also got a claim for holiday pay. So we've now had the Court of Appeal decision in relation to the holiday pay angle of his case. And the way the Court of Appeal have described this is that there are a couple of different types of holiday pay claim that somebody might bring. And they've described them in the following three ways. So the first claim is a refusal claim. So that's you didn't let me take holiday claim. Then we've got non-payment claims. So that's I've had holiday, I've been paid for it, but you haven't paid me the right amount uh, of money. And that may be where we've seen things like the Bear Scotland case where we're talking about commission or overtime or allowances and things that people get paid. And then we've got a third type of holiday pay claim, which is the accrual claim, which is saying you, you haven't paid me when I've left for the holiday that I've accrued whilst I was um, working um, for you. And the orthodoxy that had grown up around the non-payment type of claim was that um, somebody would have to bring a claim within three months of their last pay slip where they say they weren't paid the right amount of money when they took holiday. Um, so lots of employers have, if they've corrected the position around things like overtime and, and commission, have worked on the basis that if there's been a, a gap, um, that they've corrected uh, the position and people won't be able to claim very far backwards. In this particular claim, the gentleman had brought his claim within three months of his relationship with Pimlico Plumbers coming to an end, but the last time he'd taken holiday was eight months back in, in the past. What the Court of Appeal said is that the right to paid leave, they view it as a sort of composite single thing. So you don't split out the taking of the holiday from the pay or anything like that. It's, it's one whole Thing. It comes as a package. So if you've been denied any element of it, then the employer is potentially in difficulty. And their attitude was pretty much, you know, if you haven't got this right as an employer, then, you know, you deserve to be in trouble. So um, because he'd been, as Pimlico Plumbers believed, engaged on a you're a self-employed person basis of course he hadn't had any payment for any holiday so even though he'd taken time off never been paid for it so 
once they determined he was actually a worker, his claim potentially went back for all the six or seven years that he'd worked for Pimlico Plumbers. Now, one of the things that we tend to do in our contracts is say, if you don't use it, you lose it. Or sometimes we say you can carry a few days forward. I was drafting a, a contract this morning where we were allowing five days to be carried forward into the next holiday year. This case now casts doubt on that kind of approach. Um, and they've, they've really encouraged employers, as has actually been the kind of direction for, of travel for a while in the case law on holiday, that employers really ought to be making sure that their employees are taking their leave. Um, and they will look for evidence that you have been reminding your staff of their requirements to take leave. So do we, if we see people building it up and not taking it, do we do we talk to our people who are in that category? I know there are always some people who I don't understand who never take their holiday. Um, do we remind people on their pay slips about holiday? Um, do we give people text alerts if that's the way we communicate with them about it? Um, so I think the courts going forward are going to be looking for employers to evidence that they have been doing everything they can to encourage employees to take their holiday. And certainly I was helping a recruitment agency um, within the last month change their terms and conditions with sort of temporary workers that were coming through their doors to really encourage those kind of workers to take their holiday as well. Um, so have a think about what you can do in your your business to to make sure that people are taking their holiday because of course from a from a legal perspective it's about um, health and safety well-being I'm sure we'll talk about that some more this morning so that's why the courts are going in that kind of direction with this. So I just wanted to make you all aware of that this morning. Before we come on to talking about today's topic, which is ESG, um, let me see if I can get my slides to work. There we are. So what am I going to be talking about? I'm going to be talking about, firstly, what is it? Um, what's it got to do with us in HR? Or, you know, line managers as regards people um, some of the things that are going on bigger picture because sometimes particularly if you work in smaller organizations things filter down from bigger organizations um, things that are going on with regulators and sort of direction of travel uh, in terms of you know government policy and, and things like that so let's have a look at how things might start filtering down and then at the end I'm going to talk through some ideas of things that we might want to think about. So I view today as a bit of a buffet, it's a smorgasbord of themes and ideas and things that I'm sure you will have been reading about and the idea is not to be prescriptive and say you know you need to do this or you need to do that, it's about you being able to pick from that buffet those things that you think might work in your organization or might be something that your organization wants to do more on so it's it's an ideas session more than sort of typical legal stuff if you like so 
when we say ESG, these are what the initials stand for. And I tend to think of it as kind of doing the right thing, I suppose. Um, overarching umbrella. Um, interestingly, yesterday I got asked to deliver a session on business ethics, which isn't something that you know comes up terribly often. Um, I think I've only ever been asked to deliver training on that twice. Um, so I find it interesting that that was on the agenda of this particular employer and they were starting to think about the sorts of things that we're going to be talking about um, today. So um, my first question to everybody is, has this been on anybody's radar? Um, I have met my first person who, who has sustainability in his job title recently. It was in the car industry, interestingly. Um, and he, you know, somebody who'd been working in the business for a long time, but who has taken a sideways step into a project role to very much look at um, sustainability um, and ESG issues for his organisation going forward. And that was here in South Wales. Um, it might be interesting for you to think about whether or not your organisation has set any environmental um, targets. Do you have a, a net zero goal in your business or your organisation? Uh, and what steps maybe been started to be taken in your organisation um, around these issues. But I think what you'll see when I start talking about it a little bit more is that it can kind of mean whatever you want it to mean, um, which is good because I think organisations can move at the pace that suits them. Um, it means you can nibble off as much as you want to um and work at the pace that that suits you um the sorts of things i think are driving why why are organizations even starting to think about these sorts of things i think there's a there's a kind of confluence of, of things that have happened that are, are, are driving this becoming a bit zeitgeisty of course me too black lives matter you will all know we've been talking an awful lot in the HR profession about um, diversity and inclusion issues. Um, those two movements really put spotlights, didn't they, on our employers um, really walking the walk on these areas, or is it just talk? I'm sure some of you saw the people management headline um, within the last week that um, half of black women believe they'll be overlooked for promotion. And that's just one example of a headline that I've, that I've plucked out. Um, but we've been talking, haven't we, a lot about what cultural barriers there might be, what structural barriers there might be, and what we need to be doing about, about that uh, as an issue. The pandemic undoubtedly put employers under a spotlight as well, an intense scrutiny um, about how they behaved as organisations, um, how they treated 
the people within those organisations. Um, I'm sure P&O has been on many of our minds since Friday night and the way that they've behaved. Um, and undoubtedly with social media and things like that, employers, when they get it wrong and they maybe do something like P&O did for whatever reason they chose to do things the way they did, there is a backlash, isn't there? And everybody is talking about it. Um, so un undoubtedly employers who maybe seem to have abused furlough, for example, um, or behaved unfairly around these things, it's all come under the, the spotlight. Um, from a recruitment perspective, We've been talking about whether or not there is such a thing as the great resignation going on, um, which was coined in America. Um, I've certainly come across people who are using the opportunity maybe of redundancy to completely reassess what they're going to do with their working lives. And often when I have the kind of conversations I naturally have with people when they're signing settlement agreements about what they're going to do next, very much seeing people saying, I'm not going to stay in this industry, I'm going to do something different, or I don't want to work for this kind of organisation. So I'm definitely hearing those kind of anecdotal stories of people um, wanting different things. Um, and Tony and I were at a CIPD event last night, and there was a lot of discussion in the room around um, people wanting different things out of their jobs and the priorities perhaps being different and it not being all about money and how people are much more interested in what are you going to do to look after my well-being than they have ever before. I'm sure James you can um, you guys at Yoke can, um, can can tell us lots about that as well. Investors so the people who are investing our pension schemes and and, and things like that are looking for where they put their money in the markets and are starting to make decisions, certainly based around the environmental side of things, but other things driving their decision making as well. And that filters down um, because what they ask for um, starts to affect you know, what managers do within organisations to keep them happy, ultimately, as shareholders in, in businesses. Um, I know I took the opportunity recently because um, obviously I have to be my employer and employee when it comes to pension contributions because um, I'm self-employed. I recently discussed with my financial advisor moving my pension funds into more ethically based um, funds than you know they 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 might have accidentally. Um, landed in in the past sort of thing. Um, we've learned a lot about sort of toxic working cultures and attrition and turnover of staff in businesses. I've, I've had a, a perfect example of this in the last year with um, an organisation where one person, the senior level, not the most senior level, but quite high level, has been responsible for a significant number of people leaving that organisation and it only takes that one person to cause that kind of damage and the cost to the business must be phenomenal because 
you know, it's been settlement agreement after settlement agreement. Um, people are starting to look, I think, at those kind of behaviours. Um, we're definitely seeing a public demand um, for people to treat people more ethically and fairly. Um, I'm sure you can all think of examples of organisations that have got this wrong. Um, Boohoo share, share price plummeted when there was news about the low pay culture and poor standards in the supply chain, um, people being paid less than the minimum wage, those sorts of issues. Um, so lots of organisations now are looking into the supply chain side of things. And I'll talk um, a little bit later about some of the things that EC, the European Union, are doing in that kind of vein. On the other hand, organisations that are getting it right and have really good messages around these things are the ones that certainly the younger generations in the work place now want to go and work with they want they want to work somewhere where they feel there is a, a positive story and that there is a value to what they're doing and it's about explaining that to people especially when there's sort of pinch points in the recruitment side of things and everyone's chasing the same talent caught my eye in people management again recently about um women's involvement in businesses. There's been some studies done in France at um, various universities and business schools around where women are on boards, risk management in those organisations is better, is the kind of headline um, from those studies. There's been lots and lots of studies, haven't there, about decision making and the quality of decision making being better the more broad and inclusive those involved um, are. We've got increasing regulation. I'm thinking things like um, modern slavery, legislation, bribery, tax evasion. There are some legal flaws that are driving change as well. And I think the war in Ukraine is is having an effect actually and um, certainly in my profession there's a lot of lawyers in the city of London who are having to look at who their clients have been in recent years and make decisions about do we want to be involved um, with those particular people or not um, so I think there will be lots of businesses rethinking um, their position so lots of lots of drivers going on coming together um, and, you know, some of those might be more pertinent to you than others. So let's have a think on the environmental side of things. Um, I'm sure you don't need me to tell you that um, we're supposed to be as a planet trying to avoid um, the rise in temperature becoming such that it causes all sorts of um, knock on effects. And at COP26, a commitment was made to keeping the increase in temperature to just 1.5 degrees. Um, whereas a few years ago, the, the prediction was that it was going to be somewhere between three and five and a half. So that tells you already what a big Herculean effort 
is going to be needed to to achieve that it means phasing out coal completely across the planet it's halting and reversing deforestation so um, great news that James has been planting a thousand trees it means that shift away from diesel and petrol to electric vehicles and it it also means um, reducing methane and um, you can get into a massive debate about whether that means um, people moving away from meat eating or not. 90% um, of the world now has got some kind of net zero target and this equates to a huge shift in our world economy if we think about it. Now we had well, we're experiencing some fairly momentous changes because of Brexit. We had a big change in our economy in 2007, 2008 with the credit crunch. And I saw a cartoon the other day, which was of a, a little tiny um, fishing boat being bobbed around on the sea. And it was about to be engulfed by a wave um, with Brexit written on it but there was a much bigger scarier wave coming behind um towering over the whole cartoon in the shape of of climate change obviously making the point that um things are going to have to change so dramatically um in order to um to achieve um those targets now for the first time, we've got legislation, we've had it actually since 2008, um, that imposes a legally binding duty on the government to reduce our um, carbon emissions. Um, I've also put a link on the slides to um, Welsh Government um, information and um, policies and things uh, that are happening at that level. Um, so for a number of years now, there have been sort of big government projects looking at different parts of the economy um, and, and things that need to happen in those areas. So um, construction, for example, as, as one area on um, what commercial um, buildings might need to do. So, so things like how we shift um, from current forms of energy use to new forms of, uh, of energy or ensuring that waste energy in manufacturing processes like heat, for example, is generated um, and is just allowed to evaporate at the moment, how we can start to harness perhaps that as a new form of energy, for example. Um, carbon capture we hear about, um, exploring how we can reduce waste in in uh, organisations, for example. Um, and Welsh Government have some 2021 regulations. Um, there's four different sets that are about how Wales is going to hit various targets. And of course, one of the obligations that we've got here in Wales that's different to England is that it is now enshrined in law that decisions that are made now have to factor in the impact on future generations. Um, that's what's different here in Wales to everywhere else. So back in 2015, the Bank of England did uh, a project looking at what's this going to do to the economy and 
if you ever want to stay awake and not be able to sleep, that's the document to read, okay? Um, because it will give you the willies. Um, they broke it down into three different areas of risk. So physical risk. So that's, you know, buildings being damaged by flooding, for example. Um, I didn't know until I read that document and then completely freaked out that Cardiff is number six on the UK list of vulnerable cities to sea level changes. And just try and imagine for a second what the impact would be on your organisation if large parts of Cardiff were underwater. Um, did you even realise that Cardiff is, is that vulnerable? Um, I knew Gloucester was, um, and there'd always been problems with flooding there, but I didn't realise how vulnerable Cardiff was. Um, even if you're not near water, um, and, and that isn't going to be an issue, we are all going to start seeing the impacts of our insurance being more costly, of um, energy becoming more expensive. We're all experiencing that already. So all these things are interlinked. They also looked at economic transition risks. Now, this might be, you know, if it's obvious if you're a car manufacturer um, and everyone's shifting towards electric vehicles, then uh, it's going to really um, impact you. Um, but there are predictions that all businesses are going to be um, impacted. Again, it might be costs going up um, because carbon um, pricing is going to increase costs. It might be that the technology that's used in your industry is going to change. Um, the revenue profile in your organisation is going to change. So lots of things that they've identified could affect organisations there. And then they looked at what the litigation risks might be. So that might be um, effect on insurance profile or other um, litigation risks that come out of it, as well as other things like access to resources becoming more difficult, um, things in supply chains. Um, I got asked to quote for a piece of work for a government department here in Wales the other day, and a big part of the tender process now was talking about what my ESG policy was. Um, so I had to write one. Luckily, I had the kind of ingredients for it already somewhere. I just had to pull it together, really. Um, so reputational risk is on the list. Um, in terms of organisations that don't change quick enough, becoming out of step, perhaps with what their customers want, um, and organisations potentially having stranded assets like their diesel vehicles um, on their on their balance sheets. Um, in terms of comparing that the level of the shock, if you like, to the to the economy, um, to something like the. 2008 banking crisis or even the COVID um, pandemic that we've just been through, um, you know, they agree that it dwarfs those things. So they put together the task force on climate related financial disclosures, which has basically made recommendations how businesses can survive and thrive um, in different scenarios. And it started to filter through into things like accounting standards are being looked at, um, 
you can expect your quality standards, the the the, the menu that you have to um, show that you do various things to to get that standard is likely to to tweak and alter as these things always do. Um, you know, I'll be expecting my Lexel accreditation, for example, to start asking me questions about what we're talking about today. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about waste in the UK and whether households make more waste or if business makes more waste. Um, business in the UK is responsible for 41.1 million tonnes of waste every year. Households um, create 31 million, so it is business that is the is responsible for more of that. Um, obviously, zero waste is probably not realistic, but we do need to be doing more as all organisations to think about what we generate as waste. Um, and I would advocate looking at waste in the broadest terms. It's not just about what we do with our cardboard recycling. Um, are we wasting our time and our energy resources as well as creating things that may be going to landfill um, at the moment? Globally, lawyers are starting to mobilise, as always happens with these things. Um, I've put a link to a Radio 4 um, programme that you might want to listen to, which I think talks you through um, some of the legal challenges that have been brought in Holland against companies in respect of um, them not doing the things that they should be doing to um, achieve their net zero goals. So I think it's only a matter of time before we see that kind of behaviour shifting here and there was a there was an exercise last year where 650 lawyers got together uh, across the globe and held a sort of hackathon type event um, to start thinking about what kind of clauses do organisations need to start thinking about in their contracts and um, when they're interacting with each other um, to help achieve net zero goals. And they've come uh, up with something called the Climate Contract Playbook, which is available for free online and you can access it and um, you can raid that pantry for anything that might be useful um, to you. The clauses that are there are mainly going to be of interest to things like procurement colleagues. But there are a couple of um, HR related ones and I'll tell you about them. Um, as we go through uh, this morning. So that's a, a real gallop through thinking about the environmental side of things. Um, it would be interesting to reflect to what extent in your organisation it's on people's agendas. Have you set up some kind of working group to start thinking about it? Are you harnessing staff interest because there will undoubtedly be employees who are um, wanting to see your organisation doing more. From the, the social um, side of things, I view this as a, about 
what our impact is as an organisation, both on our own employees, our own staff, but also wider society. And the sort of key themes that come up in this area will undoubtedly include diversity and inclusion that we've touched on already. Um, we've seen, haven't we, for the largest organisations in recent years, a move towards things like um, gender pay reporting. There's been a debate about whether ethnic pay reporting should also happen. Um, interestingly, the government have kind of confirmed recently that that ain't going to happen. Um, but I think there are organisations that are going above and beyond what the legislation says and going, actually, you know what? It is no good that the TUC were pointing out last week that women are working 56 days of the year effectively for free compared to their male colleagues. Um, it is no good if we have got people from um, ethnic minority backgrounds reporting that they are paid less than their colleagues um, and starting to look at, at, at these issues, not only because of gender or race, but also thinking about things like disability and social mobility as well. Um, definitely seeing more um, employers thinking about how they can recruit um, people from areas and backgrounds that perhaps don't typically think of their organisation when they're thinking about jobs, whether that's outreach to schools, whether it's projects like James was talking about. I know the CIPD in Wales have got a project on at the moment about those sort of hard to reach places, people who've left prison, um, those sorts of things going on. And, you know, we see all the time, don't we, in people management about um, some of the, the statistics I was reading recently that they think the pandemic has made um, social mobility worse and that lots of young people um, are checking out what employers' records are on diversity and inclusion when they're making their decisions about where they want to go. So, you know, if your organisation doesn't look like what they want they're not going to they're not going to come come to you the pandemic is is um undoubtedly highlighted has it not in our society where there are gaps and where we may not be getting it right um and i'm thinking in terms of um sick pay particularly um i mentioned the value of sick pay has just gone up is going up next month but I don't know how any organisation can really these days justify only paying people SSP if they're sick. I think it's so low compared to the cost of living now that we have to start asking ourselves is that the right thing to do. There's been a lot of criticism, hasn't there, in recent years about the kinds of contracts that we're coming up with in the labour market. Thinking of the gig economy, we've had all of these cases, haven't we, about Uber and um, cycle couriers and various things. You know, are we creating good jobs that 
give people the stability they need or are we creating a type of work that actually isn't a sustainable model and we need to be um, thinking about that. One of the big trends that's happened in the last 20 years has been the outsourcing of lots of roles you know your cleaning or your facilities maintenance or you know whatever it might be so that your organization can focus on its core purpose what thought have we really given to what kind of jobs that has created or actually when we think about our purpose as organisations, do we would we prefer to have those kind of jobs back in house where we've got more control over how people are being treated, etc.? Just checking those thoughts out there. Undoubtedly, the ratio between pay at the bottom and pay at the top of organisations always comes into this. I'm sure you're aware now that organisations that have got more than 250 employees have to report now annually on that ratio. And it's the sort of things that investors are starting to ask questions about. Um, there was a, an outcry during the pandemic about some organisations taking furlough money um, or asking staff to take pay cuts and perhaps the senior management um, weren't. I mean, I, I'm proud to say that as far as I can see, a lot of my clients, if they were asking staff to take a pay cut, the senior managers were taking a pay cut as well um so so that it was seen to be done fairly it's those sorts of issues that we're talking about work practices are also coming under under scrutiny um we've got a big debate about should we have this right to disconnect that some of the european countries are um putting together legislation on um, and you know, ultimately, I think we do need to protect people. But there's also been a lot of coverage around surveillance cultures. And um, there's a recent headline in the TUC saying it's sort of spiralling out of control. Um, sometimes just because we could do something, should we do it? Is it a good idea? We're all talking about hybrid. We're all talking about um, how we make sure, for example, people who do work remotely have the same opportunities for promotion and to get work and things, training, as maybe colleagues who are present. And we're all battling with how we how we deal with those those issues. And um, there's certainly been a lot of fire and rehire debate even before PN at PO on Friday. Uh, I don't know if you know Tesco's had an injunction against them to prevent them from doing that and there was a private members bill that went through parliament um which those sorts of bills rarely succeed and the government um has looked at it and has said they're not going to do anything um obviously organizations do from time to time because things have changed need to change the contracts of staff so i i would never be um an advocate of banning any change ever because it would just be unworkable but organizations do have to give more thought i think to are we acting humanely or are we doing a pno i think that are we doing a pno is going to become a kind of term of art now um for how not to do things Workforce engagement and inclusion definitely comes under this heading. I'll, I'll talk 
about it a, a little bit again at the end. Um, large companies again have to report now on how they've engaged with their um, workforce and also how it's impacted on decisions within the business. Um, if you look at the stats around how they're doing it at the moment, I would say it's very much a dip in a toe in the water. I think there's only one FTSE 250 company who's actually got an employee representative on the board. Um, it's largely being done through your more traditional kind of staff forums and um, existing mechanisms, perhaps than more, you know, um, compared to something like the German model, where staff are very much more involved in in businesses. We've definitely seen see the whole Me Too thing, a focus on things like harassment, and we're expecting new legislation specifically on sexual harassment um, to tighten up. I know we've already got the Equality Act that obviously outlaws that already, but um, the government are committed to that new legislation on tightening up that as well. Well-being is going to be a big theme. Um, I was shocked yesterday to read in People Management that they reckon half of all employees have not had any kind of well-being check-in from their manager in the last year. That worries me. Worries me that organisations are talking a lot of talk, but they're not actually really doing that much other than giving people free fruit, fruit bowls and things. Um, and it was interesting at last night's CIPD event that Merriman, the recruiter, was talking about how she's seeing that employees are now asking specifically, what is this organisation going to do to look after me? Um, I find it a little bit frightening when I'm talking to managers about managing sickness absence issues how few people have ever heard of the stress health and safety exec stress management standards the risk assessment for stress whether or not their organization has their own stress related risk assessment documentation things like the charity mind have got that work related action plan or wrap that they talk about I've done my own kind of version because I'm not sure about the language on, on some of theirs. But, you know, that kind of approach to talking to people about their mental health um, and what the organisation can be doing to look after them and help. It, it frightens me how many people are ill-equipped to have that discussion with their staff. So I think that's a, a big area um, to, to focus on. Um, as well as you know all the things that we've been worrying about people's working hours um, during the pandemic. Human rights definitely comes into this area. Thinking of, I mentioned the modern slavery legislation. Um, I was delivering training on modern slavery um, yesterday as part of the business ethics training that I was doing. And if you look at in the UK where those who are victims of exploitation come from, it is not 
the stereotypical people trafficked from another country kind of stereotype internal people in the UK being exploited is number three on the list so um what we tend to have as a stereotyped attitude about some of these things might not be quite quite right I certainly came across a young professional who was being exploited he was a Chinese uh, architecture qualified student who'd been brought over to the UK to work, he thought, in a plum job with a recognised name in architecture in London, along with a number of colleagues um, from various locations in the world. But essentially what happened when they all got here is they weren't being paid the salary that they'd been promised. So they were vulnerable because they were away from their family. There was a deep shame involved, not being able to admit that they'd been duped in this way. And um, they were being exploited by this person who, to the outside world, was a big sort of hero of of his his uh, profession. Um, luckily, it was through a client um, knew of this person and had been working with him on a project and became worried about him and him not being paid on time and things like that. And we were able to get him in touch with the proper authorities um, and support because, of course, his big fear and the reason why he couldn't say anything to his employer is his visa to be here hinged on the job. So he was too afraid to say anything in case he got sent back home and then would have had the shame at home of having to admit what happened. So it it can infiltrate any part of society. Um, I'm also thinking about human rights in the wider sense, about things like privacy and respect for family life, um, obviously comes into the debate about things like the right to switch off and have our holidays, the monitoring, surveillance type of um, questions, but also things like social media. And we've seen with the forced data case, haven't we, the, the ability for people to express themselves freely and hold a, an opinion that perhaps is different to others. Um, the Maria Forstater case, if you remember, was the lady who... Um, J.K. Rowling got into big trouble for supporting um, in her belief that gender was a was a clear-cut binary thing and you couldn't be anything else. Um, and the courts, of course, have said that we respect everybody's views on these things. Um, so she shouldn't have been detrimentally treated for holding those views. So employers are having to juggle competing views on these things. The governance side of things, again, there's a big overlap perhaps with the, the social side of things. Um, governance being kind of how organisations are managing themselves. And traditionally, it's about good practice. And again, what tends to happen is we have the sort of regulation of the biggest companies and then what happens there in their codes of practice and what they do tends to filter down then to smaller organisations. Um, 
if you look at what's been going on for a number of years around corporate governance and um, that kind of highest level, it's about what we do to inculcate trust in organisations um, so that, you know, we're confident that businesses are um, well managed and, you know, fraud isn't going on. Um, it's around all those things we've just talked about in terms of the diversity and inclusion um, and the reporting now and, and the Companies Act and um, directors actually have to take staff into account when they're making decisions and if they've got more than 250 employees they have to explain in their reporting how they've done that um, so tying that in with the reporting around pay gaps and things you can see it's all sort of a direction of of, of travel um, lots of discussions about strengthening employee voice within organizations um, and the advice that large companies are given in their codes of practice are around either having an employee um, appointed director on the board or some kind of workforce advisory panel or a non-executive director. Now, the majority of organisations have gone down the non-executive -exec director route. And it's the same when you look at ethnicity on boards. One of the ways that lots of organisations have achieved the targets that were set around ethnicity on the boards have been around getting outsiders to come in and be on the board in a non-executive director capacity. And now, the people who set those targets are looking at that and starting to say, well, that's great, that's progress, we've got movement, but is that really good enough, just having a non-exec? Do we need to mainstream this a little bit more in the organisation? So you can see, again, direct direction of travel um, there, and much more focus now, I think, on let's not just give lip service to some of this stuff, Let's look at what it's actually achieving. Um, what's the substance of that workforce engagement um, going to look like? And certainly some of the criticisms of some of the top 350 companies has been around maybe a tendency to treat it staff engagement as a bit of a sideshow in some of the reporting. Um, sort of expressions of disappointment in the quality I think is the phrase that they use so um, maybe that's given you some some ideas of things that you could be doing in your organization diversity and inclusion again 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 it's everywhere um, as I mentioned improvement on ethnicity on boards um, there is improvement in terms of women on boards um, all feels a bit glacial, has to be said. Um, but of course, it, they're only just two types of protected characteristic, aren't they? Aren't they? And you know, could do better on on all the other fronts, particularly disability and and um, social economic background. There, um, there's work being done at Cranfield University to try and understand, in terms of improving the diversity on boards, um, what's worked. Um, why that's worked, what lessons can we can all learn from that. 
um, so that knowledge can be filtered down to um, organisations. Culture is definitely something I hear people talking about a lot more. Um, and I think this comes in here. Um, it's no good having our values or our purpose, um, the things we say on our documents on our website and things, if actually at the lived experience level in the organisation there's a mismatch. Um, I recently came across an organisation where they had a really good flexible working policy in place, but we had managers who weren't letting staff use it. Um, so it's what can we do now to, I guess, seek out and filter out those kinds of lived experience issues. Whistleblowing definitely comes in here. Um, and a lot of store put in having decent whistleblowing policies and procedures. Um, you remember there was a big Ferrari in Barclays a few years ago where somebody had whistleblown about something. So they had a concern that wasn't about them that they raised. And I think the chief exec at the time pretty much ordered his minions to seek out because they didn't know who it was to seek out this person, you know, hunt them down and will hand draw and quarter them in the car park. Now, whether that has contributed to that person no longer being the CEO, I'm not altogether sure, but uh, they're not there any longer. Um, you know, lots of criticism around that kind of behaviour and, um, you know, modern day organisations being much more alive to the fact that to have a decent culture in any organisation, you've got to have a really good functioning whistleblowing system within the organisation so that you can find out if there are problems that you need um, to know about. And certainly as far back as, you know, David Cameron and Matthew Taylor's review of what was going on in, in the economy and his focus on the gig economy at that time, lots of... Um, discussion about responsible business uh, being the phrase again direction of travel um, stuff um, there in in Europe um, they've recently announced that there's going to be a new directive obviously it's not going to be um, binding on us in the sense that we've been used to historical directives becoming part of UK law. But of course, if you want to trade with Europe, um, many of our organisations are owned by European companies here in Wales, then we're going to have to know what they're doing on this because they're going to expect us to be, if we're in the supply chain with them, um, reassuring them about the things that we do. So the focus of this directive is um, to firstly enshrine what lots of organisations have been doing about um, due diligence into their supply chain and looking for those human rights issues and environmental impacts further downstream, if you like. It also brings in the idea of the climate transition and large companies are going to be expected to have 
plans that they publish um, that basically set out how we're going to get to that um, 1.5 degree commitment from COP26. Uh, a clarification on directors' duties to act in the best interests of the company and that acting in the best interests of the company requires them to take into account those human rights, the climate, the environmental consequences of their decisions. Um, so within the EU, um, individuals would be able to bring claims in their national courts against companies in respect of failure to do any of those things. So again, you can see the law starting to come in here and drive things in a particular direction. And it's interesting that um, the European Commission um, communication that sort of went alongside this um, speech given by um, Ursula von der Leyen in September um, was talking around a human-centred future of work. Um, so she was thinking in terms of things like banning products that are made from forced labour. Um, but this DNSH sort of lingo is coming in here, do no significant harm being the principle on which organisations ought to be working. So again, that might give you some inspiration or food for thought. Um, again, direction of travel stuff where, where we're thinking about who is in the chain, um, are the kind of jobs that we're creating valuable, meaningful, um, treating people with decency uh, and respect, giving people adequate living standards, well-being being looked after, um, as well as part and parcel of this sustainable community um, and society and inclusivity going forward. In terms of um, reputation, we've mentioned PO a couple of times. Um, I know ASOS got themselves into trouble at, at one point uh, about their supply chains as well. I'm sure you've all got lots of examples of in this day and age of media um, driven tweets and things, how organisations can be gunned down in flames if they um, if they don't get it right on these things. Um, so that needs to be a factor that we're factoring in at any point in time as well. So to sum up, you've probably got employees wanting you to take action on some of these things. You've probably got stakeholders wanting you to take action on some of these things. You've probably got supply chain pressures as well and regulators flexing their muscles. So I'll give you an example of that. The Solicitors Regulation Authority is consulting at the moment on um, their uh, approach, I suppose, to bullying and harassment in firms. And there have been a number of cases of junior lawyers being thrown under buses by more senior lawyers that have um, hit some of their um, disciplinary tribunals and things. And so they are looking at what, as a profession, our cultures should be like. And if we have problems, the regulator may now get involved. So that's just an example of 
them flexing their muscles and certainly if you work in the financial services industry you'll be used to your regulator getting involved and they they're definitely diversity and inclusion is just being mainstreamed in everything that um everything that they do at the moment and we talked obviously in wales about the future generations act having an effect there as well so obviously if you're public sector um that influencing you as well so what is just to finish off what are some of the things i think you might think about um just to give you some some ideas really um the first thing i think is you know even if you aren't in a strategic hr role where you where you get to sort of steer things is we can all put pressure upwards can't we onto those who are in those leadership positions even by just asking the question what are we doing on this um it starts to make people think oh yeah what are we doing on this um forward-thinking employers are clearly going to go above and beyond what the legal flaws are on things and that's always been the case um so people are starting to say what what's our strategy going to be in terms of um more concrete things you might want to think about i mentioned that playbook um some ideas in there around um clauses to put in your corporate social responsibility policies um around things like sabbaticals garden leave so you know typically um somebody's on garden leave we expect them to be at our beck and call even if we've sent them home just in case we need them to answer something but actually might we use those opportunities for people to go and do some volunteering work on an environmental project go and plant trees for james um those sorts of things was one of the ideas that came out of that hackathon that i um, mentioned can we actually engage our staff in a, in a project um and gather their ideas around sustainability around diverse diversity and inclusion you may have already got um various groups that are championing certain issues um might be a project around waste it might be about you know how can we cut waste in this um this organization because at the end of the day the people who know where the waste is happening will be the people at the coal face some of these get a bit more radical now so if we're going to set wider corporate objectives have we actually reviewed how all of our other policies tie into that or do they or is there a mismatch um at the most radical are organizations going to start in their expenses policy only reimbursing people who are um using public transport or electric vehicles or cycling or walking or you know are we going to penalize perhaps um or deal in a slightly different way um choices where people are not um moving quickly enough away from diesel for example um are we encouraging people to use the teams and the zoom um rather than travel to meetings um do we have criterion about when is a face to face a good idea uh, i'm sure you're aware government policy here in wales 
means that by 2030, 30% of us will be um, spending the majority of our time working either from hubs or from home, from a planetary uh, perspective. Are we encouraging people when they are buying sandwiches at lunchtime to do that in a sustainable manner? Or are people being reimbursed for buying plastic knives and forks? Um, you can think quite radically about these sorts of issues. Dress codes is another example. We all buy uniform for our staff. Where's that made? What's it made of? Um, might not be the cheapest to buy products that are ethically made and are recyclable and things like that. But um, I'm, I'm starting to see um, corporate wear that is made with recycled material, for example, coming on sale. So lots of issues you could think of around there. Organisations start to think about how we encourage people to use their holidays. Do we encourage our staff to all get on a flight and pollute the skies? Or actually, do we give people more time off if they holiday in the UK, for example? is a radical idea. Um, have we amended our whistleblowing policy so that if people want to raise concerns about ESG type of issues, that they're encouraged to do so in that policy that it ties in um, around that, for example. Can we incorporate ESG into our recruitment processes, into our training and induction, into our anti-corruption or other procurement training that we give, um, into our whistleblowing um, side of things, as I've just said. Um, for example, you know, in our recruitment strategies, what are we doing to make it clear to a diverse population that they are welcome in our organisation and that we encourage um, them to apply with us. Lots of discussion always about is the methodology that we use to recruit, the kinds of tests that we subject people to, are they fit for purpose or are they actually excluding some people? The biggie I think is can we link this to pay? Um, you may know Alcoa, they were um, down in Swansea. Um, one fifth of executive pay in that organisation is linked to hitting goals on this. And it's that old adage, isn't it? If we, if we measure it, it's more likely to happen. So by making that link, those leaders in that organisation are much more likely to drive the change that, that organisation wants on it. Um, so it may be thinking about our bonuses, reducing the pay gap. I mean, you name it, you can tie pay to lots of different things. But, you know, ultimately, are people only going to change radically when it comes to the environmental side of things if they feel it in their pockets? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, went, I went the longest I've ever been in my electric car yesterday. I didn't break down. <laughs> so that was that was an adventure. 
are we setting ourselves challenging targets on this? Again, that old adage about what gets measured, getting done. Um, you know, you're probably already measuring um, equal pay. Are you measuring ethnicity pay gaps, age pay gaps, disability pay gaps, for example? Um, sometimes if we're not looking at the data, then we're not even going to know where we're starting from. Um, can we set ourselves targets around financial security of our staff? Can we look at sick pay in our organisations? Can we have meaningful targets around wellbeing and what our staff are telling us if we survey them about um, their wellbeing and, and things like that? I've been um, reading this morning a little bit about four day a week working because I'm, I'm writing a, a lecture around flexible working and hybrid working for other solicitors and um, reading about uh, a company in New Zealand that when they went four day a week working quite a long time ago now, they found that their stats on well-being went through the roof as well as profitability increasing in the business. So lots of organisations are trialling that kind of arrangement at the moment, although I think early indications from some of the studies that are going on is that if you don't think very cleverly about the, um, the work and the workload and what it's important for people to be achieving, you can actually overload people because if you're trying to um, stick a pint pot, pot in a quart pot then you know you end up with stressed people so um, organisations going to have to think carefully about those um, sorts of issues. Um, we were talking last night at the, at the event about um, I don't know it was somebody mentioned on the training I was doing yesterday was mentioning a programme that's obviously based on Amazon and the warehouse and the conditions that people are working in. Um, I was also on a CIPD training session recently where somebody mentioned the output in their factory was, you know, spitting out a product once every 12 seconds. And I, I just thought about how we're not designing jobs for humans. <laughs> we're designing jobs kind of for expecting our humans to be like robots and not get stressed by something, throwing something at them every 12 seconds, or, you know, having to walk hundreds of miles in a warehouse to beat the clock or, or whatever it might be. And just because we can work in those ways doesn't mean we should be working in those ways. And I think we need to think about our job design at, at the same time. Can we use our purchasing power? So that is looking at our supply chain and who we do business with and how we can influence things, even just by asking the question of organisations about what they're doing on ESG. Little by little, it will um, become a virtuous circle. And can we audit um, where we are on this issue? Um, because, again, like measuring it, that's another area where it tends to um, effect change. So I'm going to, um, oh no, sorry, there's one more, um, beefing up your whistleblowing, as I said. Um, and I think training managers, I 
often come across managers who wouldn't know how to spot a whistleblowing complaint if it's smacked them in the face and therefore it's not reacted to properly when it comes in and then the employer gets exposed to detriment claims because it's really easy for the employee to say well I raised a concern about I don't know COVID safety with this person on this date and then this happened to me after that. I wasn't allowed on the training or I was sent out from a meeting or I didn't get promoted. Or, and, and, and they can go to town on what the detriment might be. Um, I'm reading a really interesting book at the moment that's on the bottom of this slide, um, which is, so Charlie and his wife Anne, um, journalists in New York who, beginning of the pandemic moved to Montana um, and had to you know start homeschooling and all the rest of it and became so stressed by the working from home piece that they decided to do um, research into this whole area so the book is about how we go from you know that what we've have to, what we've all had to put up with in the pandemic to actually something that works for our mental health um, so I'm only about a third of the way through, so I'm, I'm on the problem at the moment, not the solution. So I'm hoping um, to find out what they, they suggest the solutions might be. So I definitely recommend that. I've also put um, some more information there in terms of um, climate change, etc. Um, the Leaders as Change Agents um, link is a government sponsored uh, initiative where various people, professors and things have come together suggesting a list of um, eight commitments that employers can uh, adopt as a cornerstone of becoming a more fair and inclusive workplace. Um, you know, they get that it can be a bit bewildering to say, right, well, where do we start? So they've um, boiled it down to eight different factors um, empowerment and choice diversity equity and inclusion growth and development commitment and engagement participation in decisions work-life balance fairness and recognition and rewards so i'm sure you'll all not be surprised to hear that those things are on the list but if you are looking for where do we start that might be a starting point to use as your your foundation um, to think about what you do in this area. So I'm going to um, stop sharing my slides and then I will be able to see if anyone's got any questions. So please feel free to take off your, uh, put your microphone on and ask a question if you've got one. I've got a question. Yes. Um, sorry yes. about the voice. Got a voice. <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, Maya Forstater in that case. Yeah. Um, so, where would employee um, employers sit with that? Because that was to do with hate speech and the way um, she treated transgender women. So. I'm pretty sure in the case it was that, yes, you can have these opinions, but you cannot, you know, um, 
be awful to yeah. a marginalized yeah. group. Yeah. So where do uh, where do employers um, sit on that in terms of ESG? Yeah. So um, the way that you're quite right, the balancing act that the law tends to do is to say you're perfectly entitled to have your belief. Nobody's going to um, say you shouldn't have that belief. You can believe what you like. Where the law becomes interested then is what you do in terms of your conduct and behaviour in connection with that. So that's where your typical employer will have a policy about treating everybody in the workplace, for example, with dignity and respect, so that if somebody is um, behaving in a manner in the workplace, which is causing offence to other people, they can take action where they're not challenging the person's right to hold the belief, but they're talking about how they manifest that. Um, so classic example through COVID has been, you know, today, for example, is um, the the day that people are thinking about lo loved ones that they've lost COVID, 23rd of March. Lots of people are gathering and lighting candles. I think there's a, there's a, there's a ceremony in Cardiff tonight. There's one in Swansea as well. Um, you know, employees who may have been deeply offended by the colleague who said, I'm not getting vaccinated, um, I don't believe in vaccination, it's all a hoax or whatever. We've had all those kind of clashing beliefs. Um, it's about the employer being able to say, right, you can have your belief, but what you can't do is, is behave in a way in the workplace that's upsetting your colleagues. And that gives them then the, the ability to tackle people if they are offending everybody else. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. Thank you. Um, so I had a question which you've kind of covered, but um, but on the so you mentioned the carbon reduction plans. Um, do you have any advice for like first steps of getting that underway within a business and how you kind of get that built from the ground up? I guess. Um, I guess my advice would be. Do you do your research, obviously, what's available, what supports available, um, but make it employee led as well so that the ideas are generated. You know, there's no point imposing a solution from outside. It's got to be something that's going to work in that organisation. So it needs to come, I think, from, you know, staff and ideas coming together. We saw we saw in the pandemic that's made a huge shift because we had to. So we know we can do these things. Um, it just requires a different different way of thinking. And um, yeah, so I think an employee led approach, I think, would be my suggestion. Okay. Um, the next event, we haven't fixed the date for it yet. It's likely to be in June. June, yeah. Uh, yeah, the reason why we haven't fixed uh, the exact date is um, Leonard Cheshire, the disability charity, are likely to be involved. Um, I'm going to focus on long COVID um, as a potential disability 
and thinking around um, that as a topic area. I know the Commission for Equality and Human Rights has recently come out and said employers should be treating long COVID as a disability. Obviously, there's no case law on that yet, but let's have a look at that issue. And, and Leonard Cheshire will also be talking to us um, from the perspective of the employee side of things and sort of lived experience as, as, as disabled employees. So that ought to be very interesting. And I know um, because it comes up all the time in sickness absence management, um, you guys can never get enough on that topic. So it should be a good event. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, we're looking first half of June, I think at the moment, but we should be able to confirm it tomorrow actually, and then we can add the new event and sign up into all the materials that we circulate um, after this one. Um, so yeah, we should be able to send all the stuff out hopefully next week. Um, just uh, me and Robin need to just get it together. So um, yeah, we just need the time to get it all written up and get it all um, sorted and then we'll email it over to everyone. And then I think we're we're aiming for a face to face in September. Hopefully, know. yeah, that's the goal. So if anyone's got any topics that they would really like us to cover off in a face to face session, um, then I'm sure James will give you the opportunity on the feedback to uh, yeah. him. So uh, do let us know because yeah. we prefer to to uh, deliver subjects that you've said you're interested in. So yeah. So thank you very much, everybody, for attending today. Uh, it's amazing how time flies when I'm rabbiting on about something. <laughs> no, thank you as always to Anna as well and for covering all of that. That's great. Um, and yeah, we'll circulate everything to everyone uh, hopefully next week. Okay. Have a good rest of the day, guys. Awesome. Thanks all. See Bye. you. Bye. Bye.